Now, more tips with your host, Rebecca Rogers. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you for being with us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Linda Porter. Linda has over 25 years of experience in the development and management of respite care. She is currently the program coordinator for Lifespan Respite Washington, which was started in 2002. In 2012, she received additional funding to develop a pilot respite voucher project that is currently providing support to caregivers in the state of Washington. And now, here is our host, Rebecca Rogers. Now, can the vouchers pay for caregivers to employ families and friends? We're not able to just for the simple fact that I cannot possibly vet or check people's backgrounds. And that's very important to us to make sure people have their background clearances. We want to make sure people have um, liability insurance, things like that. And I can't possibly do that in the scope of this current program. And in Washington State, we have some really robust training requirements for our caregivers. And so you want to make sure they've gone through all of the training. Um, so I just can't can't do it myself. But I imagine that if it's a family or friend that is actually a professional, like let's say as a nurse or, you know, that type of thing, then you would look into that possibly? Well, what, what I say is that they could certainly apply through an agency and um, have encouraged people to do that. But sometimes the agencies have restrictions of their own about taking care of family members. So it is an area as part of, I sort of think of ourselves as two arms. We have the voucher program, which sort of gives us information for the coalition program. And so that's one of the things we need to continue to explore through our coalition and advocacy efforts is how can we um, con connect the two or, or um, create some uh, pathways to address those kinds of things. Some family members are much more comfortable having somebody in their family or a friend that they know take care of their family member. It doesn't feel like it has the stigma. The care recipient is often much more open to that, you know, than having a stranger in their home. I think you mentioned this, but I didn't know if you wanted to add any more on who qualifies for the services. Well, they need to be an unpaid, unserved family caregiver. So that means that they cannot be receiving public funding uh, through any, you know, any other like source like uh, Developmental Disabilities Administration. This is not to say they don't deserve respite and more respite. Many come and say, I've only got two hours a week. And it breaks my heart to tell them, I'm sorry, because we have people who have no connections, no services who are contacting us, people who have never even identified themselves as caregivers. So it's not devaluing the, the scope of what other family members do, but that is one of our restrictions. Um, however, if they're paying privately and, or they're on a long wait list for any of those programs, we can assist them. So, and if we have, as long as we have funding available. So that becomes the issue. What is a special need according to Lifespan Respite or what right. is a condition that you would uh, consider appropriate? Um, I would say that the majority, it's interesting to me that the majority of people that use our program have neurological conditions, often uh, with older, older age or even middle-aged dementia. Um, and then uh, by and large, most of the people who use our service are, are older people as well, people over 60, uh, 50 to six, you know, 50 and above. And then we get a significant number of children who come in with neurological conditions, such as autism spectrum disorder, where they're not able to get funding through or support through 
Developmental Disabilities Administration because their cognitive functioning is too high, um, but they might still have some other connections or problems with uh, activities of daily living. And then uh, in, in my son's case, I adopted my son and he has fetal alcohol syndrome. And so he has some definite um, areas that he needs some support and reminders and things like that. So that's what we look at. We look at an adult who's an individual 18 years of age or older who requires care or supervision to meet their basic needs. So that's also called activities of daily living, as you probably know, um, and to prevent uh, physical self-injury or injury to others. And for adults, we want to look at avoiding uh, out-of-home long-term care placements. For children, it's a little, um, I'm sorry, a little more expensive just because there is an expectation that parents should be able to take care of their children if they're typically developing. Basically, um, the, the federal government des- defines children with special needs as an individual less than 18 years of age who require care or supervision. And these are the, the words beyond that required of children generally to meet the child's basic needs or prevent physical injury, self-injury, um, or injury to others. I mean, we have people who are, um, you know, going through uh, treatment for cancer. You know, as I mentioned, there might be having a disease like multiple sclerosis or, uh, you know, Parkinson's disease. People, I, I've had people who have pulmonary disease. And, you know, so there's a lot of different things, how people identify that. And I might just ask them, do you get a break? And do you provide 40 or more hours a week of care? monitoring and or supervision. So if you think about that, even people who are not living with their care recipient might qualify because they might be transporting them to the doctor, going to buy their food, you know, doing their bookkeeping. They might be doing a lot. So they may be helping them to age in place, correct? Yes. And whatever that means. We want to expand on that a little more? Sure. So that could mean, you know, running errands for them. getting occupational therapists in place or people to come to the home to help with that. It could be running to the post office, paying their bills, uh, going to the grocery store, making their meals. So a lot of times that happens for people. It could be checking in on them in the middle of the night. And overall, that's still cheaper than having to go to an institution. Absolutely. When I hear about institutions, uh, you know, charge, they can, they can, be pretty costly um, every month. And it's also better for the care recipient, I believe, just to feel like they're at home and, you know, it's where they belong or that's where all their things are, you know. It's familiar. Yes, but I'm not I'm not negating the importance of long-term care facilities in their time and place. That's really important too. So that's important to mention because there are situations in which caregivers can no longer provide the care that is appropriate for their loved one. And in that moment then uh, that is definitely an option as well. Right. No guilt, right? That's what we no. want to work for. <laughs> No guilt for any of it. (laughs) No caregiver guilt. What do you see besides that's one of the things we just mentioned, uh, possibly caregiver guilt, um, what they call caregiver chronic stress, any other issues that you find with your experience that you have seen caregivers have to deal with? You know, I've done a lot of years of respite and working in crisis nursery support, which is for parents of young children and it's for often typically developing children. It's stressful enough. And so, but what I see is um, it's sort of another level of guilt, but remorse. So people saying things or doing things that they regret, and then it affects themselves as well as the person that they provide care for. Um, it can actually 
move into a protective uh, position where the community protective services gets involved. And, and so that's just something we don't want any family member to have to go through. Why not support families early on before it even gets to that point? Why not support people to feel good about themselves and their, for their family member to not feel like a burden? So that's what I think, you know, respite can offer. And what we find is that people are so thrilled to have it once they have it. And their next question always to us, and it sort of breaks my heart, but can you give me more? Mm -hmm. And I would love to be able to do that. I think it should be a part of our, you know, continuum of care. I can't always give more, but I can refer elsewhere. And if not that, we look at creative options. A lot of the caregivers that come and talk to me, they tell me how they're so exhausted, but then some of them even have to go and continue working as well. What do you see as being some of the effects of caregiving or the effects of a caregiver that still has to continue in the workplace? I have a little bit of a difference of opinion than some people nationally who have done studies and said that uh, employed caregivers um, are doing fine. And and they have the, the studies to support that. And I support that too. But I do think that work is not always respite. And sometimes people are saying that. So I don't want people to lose sight of recreation and self-care as being a part of respite. Um, some people do enjoy going off and, and being able to focus on something that they enjoy or it, it makes them feel like they're um, valued in a different way. And so that's really important too. But we cannot forget the self-care aspects and the recreation. Employed caregivers, so they might get a quote-unquote break for, you know, 10 hours a day, but they've got to be concerned about what happens to their family member during that time. And I've seen people make some really difficult choices about leaving their family member at home and checking in on them. And they're not sure if their family member is going to fall um, or something like that. So it's a, it's, it makes people distracted. And therefore, a lot of people end up leaving the employment. They end up sometimes on public uh, assistance. So you spend money on that instead. So instead of supporting them, it's kind of a complex issue. While you, you might see some, the respite might be beneficial for people who are employed, and some people might see res- employment as respite. It, it's just so, so important to focus on ourselves and what we do. <laughs> One more thing that I think that uh has to be taken into account is that caregivers that are working full-time doing caregiving otherwise and then go, and yes, there is a change when they go to the workplace, but some of them maybe didn't have a very good night of sleep because they had to take care of their loved one or they had to maybe take him to the emergency room. So you're talking about somebody that has to keep it together, not just during the time they're caregiving, but then they have to go exhausted to work in order to do their very best there. So they're being pulled two directions. So yes, it is a change, and that could be positive if it's the passion of your life, what you're doing as your other work. If you're tired and you are already burned out, then you are not able to do as well at work, but you still have those demands at work to perform, correct? Right. This is your host, Rebecca. And now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? 
In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. So you're talking about somebody that has to keep it together, not just during the time they're caregiving, but then they have to go exhausted to work in order to do their very best there. So they're being pulled two directions. So yes, it is a change, and that could be positive if it's the passion of your life, what you're doing as your other work. If you're tired and you are already burned out, then you are not able to do as well at work, but you still have those demands at work to perform, correct? Right, absolutely. And and, and some um, employers may not understand and, and maybe don't, aren't required to understand. And so they might become terminated from employment. Um, I, I looked at uh, the Arch National Respite, Respite Center. Um, it's, it's called archrespite.org if anybody wants to look that up. But they have a lot of materials on their website that um, their fact sheets about this. And so they name that six out of 10 workers are caregivers of family, friends, or neighbors for more than 40 hours a week. So six out of 10, that's a pretty significant number. And then um, they say that U.S. businesses can incur high costs in terms of decreased productivity by stressed workers, that's what you were talking about, who are caregivers trying to navigate health, mental health, and educational systems on behalf of their care recipients. And then they often incur higher health insurance costs as well because it's greater physical and mental health needs by tired and overwhelmed workers. So similar to what you were talking about. And, and then, as I said, um, you know, many caregivers just have to leave their, they have to leave their jobs. They can't be focused on more than one thing. So I'm glad they agree with me. <laughs> yes, I am too. <laughs> so wonderful, Linda. Now, what other services, and you have been so kind to give us uh, a wonderful summary of what uh, Lifespan Respite Washington does. Any other services that you would like to mention? Through our program, that's our primary one now. I mean, I could see us expanding in the future. We we certainly do, you know, a lot of uh, education for people about respite and the benefits of respite, the cost benefits of respite. We um, have held a respite summit in the past and we'll be holding one again soon. So that's what, you know, sort of what we do. We have a website, a lifespanrespitewa.org, and we can up there if people cannot find actual respite options or places to go, they can get some ideas for where to go. Cause sometimes it's just about seeing something and going, yeah, that's right. My child can join Boy Scouts uh, for special needs kids and I can have, you know, this time off that, you know, it's about those kinds of things. There are national programs, the family caregiver support program, 
uh, my agency that hosts Lifespan Respite Washington Senior Services of Snohomish County has a, a one of the, the family caregiver support teams. And then Developmental Disabilities Administration often provides some respite for families. We try to get people connected. And again, the Arch Respite, there's, there's care.com and city sitters and different ones that provide different kinds of you know, respite or support, those are usually paid respite. My own personal experience is that uh, prevention is not something that people tend to fund or, you know, see see as something in need. We wait till um, there's a crisis sometimes to respond to those things. You know, the ones of us that have been funded, we applied, it was through our states. You have to apply through the state aging and long-term support program. So that's what we did through Washington State. They've been instrumental in doing that through Department of Social and Health Services. Um, and uh, they they have to be connected to um, Community Living Connections or what used to be called the Aging and Disability Resource Center. So there's certain requirements the federal government puts on that, and then we can apply for these funds. It's not intended to be a long-term solution, and it's not intended to fully fund. So they have a pretty significant match requirement, 25% match, to even have these kinds of funds. So we've been fortunate we've had... Um, some host agencies that have been part of this that have been nonprofit community agencies, and um, so and they've been really excellent. We we had one that was our host agency for the pilot program, and they wanted to become one of our provider agencies. So we we were happy to have that happen. <laughs> well, thank you, Linda, for becoming our resident respite expert, <laughs> and for actually committing your life to trying to find this type of services for caregivers. I know personally, as a caregiver myself, I thank people like you for taking the time to try to help all of us that need that type of support. So thank you. Thank you so much. Now, you were so kind. I I did ask you, you are a caregiver as well. And As a caregiver, I always like to give our listeners an opportunity to hear something that maybe could change their lives in a better way. Could you share a quick summary of your experience as a caregiver and what has been the most important lesson that you have learned from this journey? Um, I'm happy to share that um, I started out as a grandmother to a child and um, I had adopted his mother. And she uh, was not able to navigate parenthood and she gave birth to four children and I adopted uh, one of them that has special needs and then his sister. And then I became the co-parent to uh, the other two siblings who were adopted by my sister. So we do everything kind of in jointly. It's like community, community adoption in a way. <laughs> the children, um, the three boys all have special needs related to fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, and drug exposure, and that has impacted them neurologically. So they do not have executive functioning in in the same way that other typically developing children do. They um, have some mood disorders. They get um, highly anxious. Um, They also um, have um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder along with that, which is a common thing. They um, have social skills issues mostly need a lot of reminders just to get through the day. Um, I have to say that it's much improved from when they were little. You expect as a parent that you're going to provide a lot of reminders. And as they children age, you think that the level of reminders might shift to a different thing. 
um, I'm still reminding about how to put the socks on, but I'm also reminding how to how to look somebody close to their eyes. You know, I don't say force people to look them in the eye, but at least, you know, acknowledge people. And so I feel like my whole life is about reminding, reminding, reminding. And I, you know, like everybody else, I feel impatient sometimes. I feel like, what in the world am I doing? And then they do something pretty amazing. And you're like, wow, I'm so glad I can be here in your life with you and share Mm -hmm. your worldview, because that's really what it's about, seeing the world through their eyes. What I have learned, I think, and I, well, I'll put it this way. I haven't learned it, but I'm learning it. And part of that is from the work that I do is asking for help. Because I find that people um, don't know what to do. Family members, friends. I mean, a lot of my friends that I had, I was expecting to be at this age where I would go off and, you know, I'm not retirement age quite yet, but close, um, but where I might be able to go out and go on some cruises and things like that. And, you know, my world kind of came to a skidding stop with that a little bit. Financially, it can be a little harder. Uh, when when you have family and friends who can pitch in and they know what to do, it's so helpful. Many don't know. And so I have to be the one to educate them. So self-advocacy, asking for help. What they say at Arch, uh, asking for help is a sign of strength. I think that's really true. And then being easy on myself sometimes when I don't do it exactly the way I want to. That's so important. So would you say that the biggest thing that you have learned through this journey is that it's okay to ask for help? It doesn't make you less capable. Yes, absolutely. It's important. Absolutely. It is important. And would you give that as the number one advice? I think that is the number one. And then the second one, which is be easy on ourselves. Give ourselves a break, right? Literally. (laughs) I like that. What a great way to end our program. Give yourself a break. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Linda, for your time and for sharing this very important information with our listeners. So would you mind repeating again your website and your phone number? If people have questions, they can also call you. I'd, you have an 800 number. I have That's it as well. It's at 1-800-422-2024. But they need to ask for extension 125 because that gets them to me. My volume of calls is really high. So if I don't get back to you in a couple of days, be patient. I will. Uh, you can also email me, L-P-O-R-T-E-R at, this is where it gets hard to say, org. So three S's is in Sam and one C is in cat.org. And then they can go to my website, which are our website, which is www.lifespanrespitewa.org. Some people have a hard time spelling respite. Um, so I'm going to just spell it if you don't mind www.lifespanrespitewa.org. And they could probably get that off of your website, I would guess, too. Absolutely. And I know that you were going to spell respite, but for a minute there, I was wondering if you were going to spell respect. (laughs) There's a joke uh, that we have among us that we want to do the same thing as you do that respect sign, (laughs) R-E-S-P-I-T-E. I love it. Caregivers deserve respite and respect. I love it. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Linda. And we just heard from Linda Porter, the coordinator for Lifespan Respite Washington, 
with some powerful information about why taking time to rest is probably one of the most important things you can do for yourself as a caregiver. Thank you so much, Linda, for being with us again. We really appreciate it. Come back to talk to us soon. Thank you. And this is your host, Rebecca Rogers, saying goodbye until next time. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com improvement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387 extension 101 that again is 877-957-7387 extension 101 for an initial free phone consultation lifestyle improvement occupational therapy we're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877 Extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101. Because care starts with you. Thank you for being with us today on Lifestyle Improvement for part two of our interview with Linda Porter. Linda has over 25 years of experience in the development and management of respite care. She is currently the program coordinator for Lifespan Respite Washington, which was started in 2002. In 2012, she received additional funding to develop a pilot respite voucher project that is currently providing support to caregivers in the state of Washington. And don't forget to join your host, Rebecca Rogers, again next Sunday morning at 7.30 for more tips on lifestyle improvement.